Uh, so most of us, most of the time, if we're honest, feel exhausted, anxious, and empty. <clears throat> so I've actually said that four Sundays in a row now, if you've been here for a while and you've been here during this series, and it's because it's just true, right? We may not want to admit it. Um, sometimes we just power through the exhaustion. Uh, a lot of times we just figure out how we can cope. Um, but if we're honest, most of us, most days, feel exhausted, anxious, and empty. And uh, there are lots of surface reasons why we feel this, but at the root of so much of our exhaustion is a deep and underlying creed that we all believe in and that we all live by, and it's this. I am my own, and I belong to myself. In other words, I am wholly responsible for discovering who I am, for creating my identity, for expressing my identity, for improving myself, and for figuring out how I can live the best version of myself. And how can we not believe this? Right? It's, it's all we've ever known. It's all we've ever been taught. We were taught this as a kid, right? You can do anything you want. You can be anything you want if you set your mind to it. It's every message that we receive in our culture reinforces this idea. It's what every great story and every great film about self-discovery is about. It's what every advertisement is empowering us to do, right? Buy this product or download this app or use this tool or, or set these goals or embrace this lifestyle because it's going to help you become the best version of yourself. In fact, you could even say that our modern culture is perfectly designed to help us believe in ourselves and to provide everything we need to move towards the best version of ourselves. Our culture is perfectly designed to help us flourish in every part of our lives. So why then are we often so exhausted and so anxious and so empty? Why are we not flourishing? Right? Why is it that we're rarely thriving? And why is it that most of the time when I talk to most of you and I say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm just surviving. And I say, me too. Right? Why is it that we're often just surviving and not thriving? Uh, let me give you an illustration um, that might help. This comes from author Alan Noble, um, who I've, I've quoted several times during this series. Um, have you ever seen a lion pacing back and forth at the zoo. Repetitively, just pacing back and forth. Or, or maybe a bear walking around in circles. Or an elephant swaying back and forth. Lions and bears and elephants do this all the time in zoos. But they never do it in the wild. They only act this way in captivity. And this behavior has actually been called Zucosis, because it's a sign of stress, of anxiety, of exhaustion, and of loneliness. Now, when you think about it, uh, a lion's habitat was created expressly for him, was it not? It was created by the best lion experts with the best of intentions and the best tools at their disposal. It's created for him to flourish, and yet we all know a, a lion does not flourish in a zoo. I mean, he should, when you think about it, 
He's given all the food he could want. He doesn't have to hunt for it himself. He's given uh, protection and shelter from the elements he's taken care of. He's given every tool and provision he could ever need in order to flourish, but he doesn't. You could say that he's just surviving, not thriving. Now, uh, as tragic as that is, my intention is not to start a discussion about the ethics of zoos. Uh, It's to draw a parallel. Our culture, our society is supposedly created for us to flourish, but we're not. We're anxious, we're exhausted, we're stressed out. We are like lions pacing back and forth or walking endlessly in circles because we just don't know what to do about it. Now, last week, uh, we said sometimes when we're tired or weary or when life isn't working, we just figure we have to double down. We're just going to have to work harder, right? We tell ourselves maybe we just need to to make some changes, that, that life is not about surviving, it's about thriving. And so what do I need to do to start figuring out how to thrive? Which is a bit like pointing our fingers at the lion and saying, you just need to figure out how to thrive in that cage there. Or, uh, more often than not, we said, we just check out. We figure out how to cope, usually through self-medication, which is also a little bit like telling the pacing lion, uh, here's some anti-anxiety meds, uh, here's a TV, just sit back and watch it. That's the best we can do for you in there. Now, the question is, what does the lion really need? Like to live as a lion was meant to live. What does he really need? Anybody? He needs to be liberated, doesn't he? He needs to be freed from captivity. He needs to be liberated from his cage. And we need that as well. Now for us, it's going to be a whole lot less about moving to a new place or where we're living and so much more about what we believe. We need to be liberated from this idea that I am my own and I belong to myself and all of the burdens that go along with it. And that's going to begin by exploring a really ancient truth that turns everything upside down. Uh, We need to go back to something the Apostle Paul said. It was about 2,000 years ago. Um, Many of you know Paul was an early Christian. Uh, He was a follower of Jesus, and he traveled all around the Roman Empire, telling other people about Jesus, and then starting these new communities of faith. And and then he would write letters back to his friends in these cities and in these communities of faith. Uh, One of those letters is called 1 Corinthians, because it's the first letter we have that he wrote back to his friends living in Corinth at the time. And in the middle of this letter, he deals with uh, a problem that he sees in their community, in his friends that he knows there. And the problem is sexual immorality. Basically, there's, there's people sleeping around. In fact, some of his friends, men, are sleeping with prostitutes, and, and Paul believes he strongly needs to discourage this behavior. And so he deals with the issue very directly in his letter, and we're just going to jump right into the middle of his discussion about it. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Uh, the Greek word 
Uh, immorality there is the Greek word pornea. It just means sleeping around or uh, sexual promiscuity or, or just treating sex flippantly. And basically Paul is saying, like, don't do that. Flee from that. Like, if, if you have this impulse to treat sex that way, run from that impulse. And here's why. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, think about this for a second. Uh, Paul could have given so many reasons, writing to his friends, for why these men should not be sleeping with prostitutes, right? And he could have said, because she might get pregnant. Then you're going to have an unwanted pregnancy on your hands. He could have said, uh, you could get a sexually transmitted disease and and that's, that's no fun. He could have said, uh, your reputation is at stake, right? And, and if you keep doing this, it's going to potentially threaten your reputation. This is not helping your life any. Or Paul could have talked about the way that this could hurt other people. If you're married, you made a promise to your spouse, and, and you're breaking it by doing this. Or, or even uh, the prostitute. You think uh, sex with her is consensual? It's not. You hold power over her, so that makes it inherently abusive. So you are hurting her. Uh, Paul could have gotten uh, really psychological. He could have said, you think that what you're doing is just physical, but it's not. You're actually looking for something deeper. You're trying to fill something inside of you. You're looking for companionship or for affirmation or acceptance or or love. And and sleeping with a prostitute isn't going to provide any of those things. Paul could have could have given all of these reasons for why this is not going to help his friends become better versions of themselves. And all of that would have been true. But that's not what he says. He actually gives a very different reason. He says, you are not your own. Basically, you you don't belong to yourself. You're not free to, to just do whatever you want. You're not free to just... Do whatever you want that you think is going to give you value or you think will give you uh, meaning or, or purpose or, or identity or pleasure or happiness or fulfillment or, or whatever you think is going to help you live your best life now. What Paul is saying is, is so simple and profound. It's this. You are not your own. You belong to God. Now, Paul is very explicit about this in this one passage, but this is actually a truth that's written all throughout the pages of the Bible. We could read so many passages about this one idea. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to read one more for you. In fact, we read this passage. If you were here in church at New Denver last week, we said these words out loud. It's from Psalm 100. It says this, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. And we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What a reminder, right? God made all of us. I didn't make myself. You didn't make yourself. God made us. God created us. You don't create your identity and yourself, and I don't create my identity and myself. God creates it. And I belong to him. And you, you belong to Him. We don't belong to ourselves. 
Now, uh, the problem with this is that we reject this idea. We basically say, I don't want to belong to you, God. I want to belong to myself. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want anyone else telling me what to do, right? If I want to sleep around, and whether I do or not doesn't matter, I should have the freedom to be able to make my own choices, If I think that's what's best for me, then I should be able to get to decide that. I want to be my own person. I want to have my own life. I don't want to belong to anyone else. And and this whole posture is basically just called autonomy. We want personal autonomy. And you could say that the Bible is the story of people choosing that autonomy and the disastrous consequences of that choice. Now, uh, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you know that Jesus offers us a different way. You know that, that He can save us from ourselves. He can save us from our autonomy. He can save us from our pride, from our arrogance, from our selfishness, from our sin, from our brokenness, right? And many of us have put our faith in Jesus to do that. And so we praise him and we thank him for offering his life on the cross on our behalf for us so that we can experience his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And then we go right back to living our lives as if we are our own and we still belong to ourselves. And do you remember what Paul said to his friends in Corinth? He made it so clear. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were bought at a price. And the price was what? It was his life. It was his blood. It was his body. It was his sacrifice. He purchased you. He bought you. He rescued you. He redeemed you. Like like the Israelites, when God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and rescued and delivered them, God redeemed us, and the price was his own life. And he redeemed us so that we could start over, so that you could stop living your life as if you own it and you belong to yourself, and you could start living a new kind of life. And have a a new identity in Christ. The kind of life you were always made to live. And if you think about that for a second, that changes everything. You see, uh, if you are not your own, if you belong to God, then your identity is not yours to create. It is given to you by God. It also means your purpose is not yours to discover in life. It is simply given to you by God. It means your life is not yours to improve and optimize and figure out how to perfect. It is given to you by God. Now, uh, for some of us, that kind of sounds scary. Because we want the, the forgiveness and the grace and the love and the mercy that Jesus offered, but we still want to hold on to our lives, right? We still want to be in control. We want to be in the driver's seat. We want to still call the shots. We want to continue to assert and believe that I am my own and I belong to myself. But I would suggest for a whole lot of us here, we don't even realize how much we're still living 
according to that deep-seated belief that I am my own and I belong to myself. We don't even see it, and how would we? It's all we've ever known. It's like saying to a fish, do you realize you're swimming in water? And the fish is like, what's water? It's It's all we've ever known. It's all we've ever been told. It's the message that's reinforced to us over and over in culture. We are like a lion bred in captivity that is pacing back and forth in our cage. And we know something is wrong with this picture because we're exhausted and we're stressed out and we're anxious and we're empty. But we don't really know what's wrong because the cage is all we've ever known. And and if I can just push this illustration a little bit farther, it's like Jesus walks up to the cage and he opens the door. And he says, come on out. You can live a different way. And we're looking at him going, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know what life outside the cage would even look like. All I've ever known is living here. And I know I don't like it at times, but it's also gotten comfortable and I figured out how to cope and it feels kind of like home and I know how to numb myself from the exhaustion and the pain that I'm feeling. And so I just, I can't even imagine life any other way. Or it would be like uh, Jesus standing at the door of the cage and he, he opens the cage and he says, come on out. You were made to roam the plains. You were made to, to be king of the jungle. You were, you were made to live such a different kind of life. You were made to flourish, and you can only flourish out here. And we're standing in the cage thinking, I don't know if I can trust you, Jesus. Uh, are there rules for living out there? And Jesus says, yeah, of course there's some rules for living out here. Are there any fences out there? Like, I can't roam totally freely, can I? Are there fences out there? And Jesus is like, yeah, there's fences, because there's cliffs, and I don't want you to fall off the cliffs. So I have some fences near the cliffs. And it's like us looking back at Jesus saying, you know what? I don't really like rules, and I don't like fences. I think I'm just going to stay in the cage, where I can continue to be my own and belong to myself. Now, think about how crazy that idea is. And yet, that's what most of us are still doing. We're living in the cage, pacing back and forth, knowing that something is wrong, feeling deep in our bones that something is not right, that this is not the way life was meant to be, and yet feeling powerless to do anything about it. Now, we're going to spend the rest of this series, the next four weeks, exploring and unpacking what it would look like to live a liberated life, what it would look like to be freed of of these burdens, the heavy burdens of self-belonging and what a life of self-belonging causes. Because here's the truth. The life of self-belonging promises us freedom and autonomy and self-discovery. But it's only given us exhaustion, anxiety, and emptiness. And I just want you to think about this before you leave today. As you go, what if that's actually true? What if it's true that as a follower of Jesus, I have continued to live my life believing that I am my own and that I belong to myself? 
And that underneath all of my pacing back and forth and all of my walking in circles and all of my exhaustion and burnout and emptiness and weariness and anxiety, that underneath all of that is not just a busy life. It's not just a difficult or demanding job. It's not just a hard season I'm going through. But it is a fundamentally flawed belief of who I am and whose I am. Uh, One final thing. About 450 years ago, it was the middle of the Protestant Reformation in Europe. And uh, some followers of Jesus gathered in the city of Heidelberg, what's in modern-day Germany, and they wrote a catechism. Um, A catechism is sort of a traditional religious-sounding word. It just means a teaching tool. It's like a little guidebook of questions and answers. It's used to instruct children in the faith. It's used to instruct adults in the faith. It's used to instruct people who are new to Christianity. And it's used to remind people who have been followers of Jesus their whole life about what are the most important elements of our faith. And this famous uh, catechism was written, and the writers of it believed that they needed to start with the most important and foundational truth. And here's how it starts. Question, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, he has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And then it closes by saying, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What if that's true? That our only source of comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong to him. Let me pray for us. God, we do confess that for many of us, we are tired and weary. We feel sometimes like we're on the treadmill and it just never stops. We feel like we're just pushing the boulder uphill and we're never arriving. And so I pray that you would just create a deep desire in us to be liberated from that to believe in you and trust in you that you have a different kind of life for us to live. One that's not necessarily devoid of suffering or pain or hardship, but one that we were made to live. And so help us to yearn for that and desire that and to look to you as the one who can provide that. We pray this in your name.